Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and let's definitely talk about a topic that's going to split your church, or at least it might, depending, of course, what circles you reside in. Um, but anyway, so the King James Only controversy is a big one, and today is part four of that. So if you haven't watched parts one through three first, it might help bring some clarification into what we're talking about now. So the thing is today, I want to talk about textual categories. Textual categories is a thing that we see brought up by King James Only Advocates all the time. And, it, and I, if you're one of them, I want you to just try to hear me out before you start attacking me, okay? Here's the thing. As a King James Only Advocate, many of them say that there are only two text types. There's Alexandrian, and then there's Byzantine, or Byzantine. I've heard it pronounced both ways, but I'm going to say Byzantine, okay? Anyway, so and the whole thing is the Alexandrian texts, all those are bad, and all the Byzantine ones are good. And the whole idea is that these ones are old. All right, Alexandrian's older, it's, you know, there's less of them, so people didn't care about them as much, that's why there wasn't many made, and, you know, they're older, and they're just crummier, but then these ones, they're a bit newer, we have them a little bit earlier than the, these ones, uh, may, there's more text than any of them, like uh, the Byzantine texts are also called the majority text for a reason. Because we have more of them than any other. Now, the thing is, the problem with this is that fact that they that there are more categories than just Byzantine and Alexandrian, and they don't usually mention these, and they kind of just simplify it. The other issue about this is the fact that um, when you're looking at the Alexandrian text and you're just going, well, because, and they will say this, well, they were found in around Alexandria, Egypt, and you know they were a bunch of pagans down there, so therefore these don't carry any weight because they are theologically corrupt. But the problem is we really can't be just sitting there and ascribing uh, bad theology due to geography. Geography does not uh, prescribe theology. Okay, so a geographical location is really, it doesn't matter. Uh, we have Jesus of Nazareth, right? And he, people looked at where Jesus was from and even the comments were made like, can anything good from that co good come from that place? Like anything good? Because, so he was, he was condemned due to, uh, and many didn't really want to listen to him due to where he was from. And it's always silly. So can you imagine if just wherever you're located at, like maybe a Christian on the West Coast in California and people are like, well, you know, there are no good, real Christians in California. Like, what? You know, anything written by someone who lives in California is just, you know, theologically wrong. Many of you guys might know of a great uh, pastor on YouTube. His name is Pastor Mike Winger. He's great. He's very biblical. And guess what? He lives in California. So we can't be sitting there going, okay, the geographical location dictates their theology. That's just silly, okay? Um, especially in, in a pagan society, actually. If they were pagan, then they probably wouldn't be following, you know, Christianity. So I think that's kind of a, it's just not a good argument. Like, even if you don't like the Alexandrian text, that's just a bad argument. But anyway, um, so when we're talking about these different text types, what do I mean? Well, what I basically mean is that there are some texts that have certain patterns or certain word orders in certain passages, and they tend to be found in certain areas. Like maybe the Alexandrian text will be found in Alexandria area largely, or maybe the Byzantine texts are mostly found over there. But the thing is, it's just a category we give them. There are texts that are that are from that are of the Alexandrian text type that are much further away. And then, then those ones, because, you know, these things were written and mailed, essentially, and sent out to other people. And same thing when it came to, um, 
with the Byzantine texts. We find them all over the place, not just in you know Byzantium. So I think it's important that we don't get this just the geography in our brain because that's not going to be helpful to an actual productive nor fact-driven conversation. And that is ultimately my goal here. I want to be fact driven. And you know, some some might even, you know, some King James onlyists won't even mention the Byzantine. They won't advocate for the Byzantine or the also known as the majority text. I might use that interchangeably, Byzantine and majority text. You'll find that a lot of these texts have various different names, so try not to get confused, even though it's confusing. So anyway, so you'll have some King James only advocates that will even say that no, you can't uh, the Byzantine texts don't matter, the Alexandrian texts don't matter, even the Texas Receptus that the King James was taken from doesn't matter. This is the new inspired word of God. And what they say basically is the King James is re-inspired. And you'll notice when people, you get to this extreme group of King James only, there isn't a single biblical passage they can use. And they will constantly use verses from Psalms or whatever, talking about how good God's word is. And then they'll say, if you disagree with the King James, you disagree with that verse. And I'm like, no. And of course, you're probably seeing the error already. No, I'm not disagreeing with your verse, with the verse. I'm disagreeing with your interpretation of that verse, which you're saying the word there equals the King James. And I'm saying the word there means the written word of God, not just the King James. And so that's a really extreme group. And honestly, I'm not sure if there's anything that can really fix or help convince them because there is nothing academic about their position. It's more of a complete faith-driven, um, not just faith-driven, it's almost a dogmatically driven emotional state. It's uh, more dogma than it is doctrine. So anyway, not to get too much on a tangent, but I just want you to know that there are large extremes. And there's other people who, you know, I prefer the King James or, oh, you know, I'm King James only because I think the majority texts are better. Okay, we can have that conversation, but there's a real extreme group over here that are, whew, anyway. So in reality, uh, when ascribing geological locations isn't helpful. Um, also, ignoring the, the where the Bible came from isn't helpful either. We have a complicated, uh, the church history is complex. It's complicated. It's There's a lot of things that have happened over 2,000 years. And then if you want to include what happened before that even, there's so much there. So, uh, but you know, when it, when it comes to the differences, okay, so the Alexandrian text types might have less, Byzantine have more. Why the difference? Why is there differences at all? One of the biggest things with uh, my friends who were going back and forth and shifting out of King James onlyism is this whole, they were going, okay, um, what do you, what, why the differences then? And many people will give a grand conspiracy, you know, people trying to corrupt the word of God, people trying to, you know, corrupt uh, the teachings of the church, trying to bring in false teachings, trying to deny the blood maybe. You know, there's a lot of conspiracies around it. And I want today to just be fact focused. How did God actually preserve his word? To the King James only advocate, I am not saying I hate the King James. I'm going to say this again because many people seem to misunderstand when they watch these videos. I do not hate the King James. I dislike the King James only position for a number of reasons. And we're going to get there as the series continues as to what the real problem is once we make this fact focused. So we first have to get focused on the facts before we start putting in our thoughts into it. So the one of the biggest issues is that we see these differences and we just instantly come up with a conspiracy say this one has more, this one has less, the less isn't good. And that's actually a gross oversimplification. And it would be so much easier if it was that simple. But it's not. God preserved his word in a far more complicated way. So with no further ado, let's talk about these textual categories. There's more than just Byzantine and Alexandrian. But just to get it out of the way, let's talk about the Alexandrian text type. So the Alexandrian text types, these are the earliest manuscripts 
found. We have, they're the oldest ones, they're the earliest ones found. Nothing is older than the Alexandrian text types. Most scholars also agree that these texts serve as a weightier, they serve to be weightier in textual criticism. So when we're comparing some things, the Alexandrian texts are going to pull more weight than maybe the earliest, than the latest ones. So, and there, there's a lot of reasons for this. And think about this, throughout history, if you have something within 30 years of an event or something 200 years of an event, and let's say they describe something almost exactly the same, but there's a little variation, which one do you think is gonna be most accurate? Probably the one within 30 years, right? Because that one's closest to the source of, the, of this topic, of the situation here. And the one later, well, things may have changed and understandings may have changed 200 years later, but this one probably weighs more, has more weight into it. That's what the Alexandrian text type is. It's older, so yes, it carries some weight because it is closest to the source of Jesus Christ himself and the apostles. So that's why these are, these are so popular. So um, I'm going to have a list uh, you know, of popular of these of very popular or well-known manuscripts throughout. So as I'm mentioning this, you'll see them pop up. Uh, but anyway, uh, typically these also serve as the very basis, not the ultimate authority, but the basis for modern translations. And that's another uh, misnomer that people have. They believe that all modern translations are based on the Alexandrian text type. This is not true. They bear as a strong basis, but they are not necessarily the ultimate authority for a number of reasons as well. So here's the thing. What are, what are some of the things about the Alexandrian text type? Well, they use fewer words, so they're you know simpler. They, they use way fewer words, and they're almost abrupt and simple in their writings, they, and which is why if you read a book, uh, a Bible solely based on the Alexandrian text, it might seem like it's very just, you know, very cut and dry. It's, and that's because that's the way these were written back then. They're more abrupt in style. There's, they use fewer words. Um, and also there are more variants in the gospels in this text type, which also makes sense because we call them the synoptic gospels, right? Because we're talking about their symmetry, how similar they, these gospels are to one another. So throughout time, scribes may have harmonized these gospels to make them a little less, you know, different, to make them more universal and rounded in their approach. But older ones were, are more going to be closer to probably what the gospel writers actually meant, which is why there are more variants there. Because less people have tried to make it more well-rounded, and these are more the accounts of the actual apostles themselves. Which, you know, this is why in one reading, uh, you know, one, one will mention two angels at the, like mention angels or two angels at Jesus' tomb uh, after the resurrection. And, um, you know, another one says, and the angel said to me. So it's like one mentions multiple angels, one says, only talks about the one angel speaking to him, if that makes sense. So... So many readings are considered difficult as well in this text type. So scribes tend to do try to improve the writing styles over time and bring clarification through comparison. So when you read the Alexandrian text types, they're more abrupt, they're more clunky almost, and they're you know they're simpler. But they also had more complicated statements and phrases. So over time, scribes and maybe even the early apostles or their disciples, when when copying these things down, started just kind of adding clarification statements or adding to things. And you know I can hear it now. Oh my goodness, God, they added to the Word of God. None of these were majorly doctrinal shifts, okay? So, but many of them would try to do it for clarification or to make it more rounded or what we call harmonizing, okay?
So anyway, this is part of the older, what we call the uh, older UNCIAL text, or UNCIAL, so it's the U-N-C-I-A-L, which basically means that they are written in capital letters and they are put down over, and over time, this the UNCIAL text uh, became minuscules because they, they were clunky in writing. So it over later on shift to what's called the minuscules, which means that they use you know more of a, a lowercase and flowing style as opposed to like big and bombastic and very uh, emphatic in its approach. So they differentiated between capital and non-capital letters, also minuscule text and things along that nature. So then this helped it flow better. <laughs> so the Alexandrian text sites were unseal. They had these you know all capital letters, kind of clunky, and then over time, scribes and why not change it to minuscule to be able to bring in a more of a fluid approach. And it really has helped kind of create a more well-rounded approach when you're reading these things. So, um, so again, it's not so simple, but texts from this time period are also most difficult to find. So again, they're the oldest. So you can imagine that pieces of paper, they don't last very long over thousands of years. Weird, right? Especially in a desert, okay? And without the modern technology we have today. So we have less of these than any others. And the reason why also wasn't just because, oh man, people like the King James Only Advocates, they say, you know, well, they were unpopular, they had bad theology, so people threw them away and people just got rid of them, shredded them, whatever, because they were just horrible texts. That's what the King James Only Advocates will rumor, but it's not true. The reason why uh, many of them was because during this time, obviously paper's hard to get. So what they would do is they'd rinse off and scrape off some text and then they'd rewrite over it. So instead you have maybe one piece of paper that's been used many times, all right? And of course their paper is not like our paper where it's like razor thin, like it's their paper is a bit thicker. So anyway. Um, also, the early church was still largely Jewish, and I think we forget that there's a lot of Jews that were in the early church. And what did Jews do when something got old? Well, if a scripture got old, they burned it out of respect. So if you burn it out of respect, and then you're also scraping it off and reusing, you're not going to have many left. You're just not going to have that many preserved. And I don't think that's I don't think that's you know too strange. I don't think that's anything to attack this text over. You know, these are people working with what they got in the middle of a desert. If you can do better, let me know. All right. So this, however, um, a lot of the things brought against Alexandrian texts is all speculation. That you know, when people attack it for, well, they're trying to be slanted. They're trying to corrupt. They're trying to do this. They're trying to. It's all conjecture. There's no actual evidence of any of that. It is just simply going. These verses aren't there in these texts, and they are in this text, so therefore, it must be corrupt. That's not true. But there, so anyway, we're gonna move on from the Alexandrian. But the Alexandrian, the thing to understand the most is that they're the oldest texts, and there are fewer of them, and why there's fewer of them. Not because they're terrible, not because Christians hated them, but because of how they were recycling and using their texts. But the next text type to mention is Egyptian. So yes, there's Alexandrian, and then there's Egyptian. It's a separate text category. And many people don't know this, and especially King James only advocates. So it's similar though, in many ways, to Alexandrian texts, but, but with some additions of the Byzantine text types. So remember, when the Byzantine are another text type, which we'll talk about, another category, but it's mostly Alexandrian, these Egyptian ones, but they have some influences from the Byzantine. So that clarification statements, those things, those are coming in at this point on the Egyptian ones. And these ones are very, very 
old, okay? But they are not as old as the Alexandrians. So that's where we're seeing some of those shifts taking place, some of those harmonizations, some of those, some of those clarification statements. So these are, you know, they're older, but not as old as, uh, as the others. But you can start seeing the influence over time taking place in the Egyptian category. This also shows a gradual influence taking place, you know, theologically, because this is where you start seeing some weird uh, verses that we don't see anywhere else show up. You know, um, there are verses and statements in the in the Egyptian text types that aren't found anywhere else. But you know, what's funny is that every text category has some state a few statements in it that aren't found in other ones, and that is just the nature of when you're copying something by hand. I mean, if I get pulled out a book and I told you guys to copy that book word for word, and I did that to a group of 20 of you, there are going to be statements that aren't in each other's, right? That's just the nature of it. So anyway, this that is Egyptian. Egyptian is not overly complex, but it's basically Alexandrian text with a Byzantine influence, okay? Then we have what we call the eclectic texts. Eclectic texts. That was a bit of a tongue twister, but anyway, um, eclectic is you know, these ones are an amazing source. They really are. That They show the history of textual traditions and not so much in the original writing, like the Alexandrian texts show more of the original writings. This one shows more of the, the textual traditions throughout history and the shifts that take place. The eclectic text, uh, mean, eclectic means it pulls from multiple sources, okay? So it does not surprise that this text type seems to be a bit of a hybrid of various textual influences. So it's not just Alexandrian. It's not just Byzantine. It's, it's got it's all sorts of different things. The eclectic text type is a mixture of all sorts of different influences. And they basically were like, okay, this thing has a little bit of, has some from the Alexandrian, has some from the Byzantine, has some from, you know, over here. And with all these guys, man, I don't know. Uh, I guess these get shoved in eclectic because it has a little bit of all of it. So it's a very mixed in nature, and uh, they, you know, they even have some of their own independent writings. Like there are some writings in the eclectic texts that aren't found anywhere else. Like especially in the eclectic texts, because again, it's pulling from various different textual traditions. So it doesn't favor any particular text type. Like it's not, you know, like I mentioned, it's not like oh, definitely more Byzantine. It's it's because it doesn't favor one side or the other. It just gets its own text type. That's what they basically did. They were like got these manuscripts and were like. Ugh. Okay, I guess we're creating a new category here. Uh, eclectic, all right. And there are even some people like J.K. Elliott who seem to hold uh, to very strange view regarding this uh, particular category of text. And it's a very rare position, but some people even are like eclectic text only people because I guess the whole middleman idea, it's not too much Alexandrian, it's not too much Byzantine, it's the middleman, so they're like, oh, we're eclectic only. There's There are people who are like that, it's weird. So some people hold to these you know, as their primary authority and trying to, and here's the thing, you know, the issue is they're trying to find ultimate authority in the middle ground, which oddly enough is not a middle ground, but anyway. However, most scholars do disagree about that position. And it more shows that the variances in textual history, and it shows that the ever-changing textual climate throughout history, that's what it really does. The eclectic text shows that as these texts got older, or newer, as the writings got the writing tradition continued. That's a better way to put it. Speaking in timeline is hard for me. Anyway, but so as the, as the writings continued, it just shows that how these things eventually changed and shifted over time. 
And then we get the Western text type. The Western text type. This contains only a few manuscripts. There's not many in the, in the Western, okay? The Western uh, typically also only has fragments, like where the Alexandrian text type has full-on text, same with Byzantine. The Western gets only it gets only fragments, these little pieces and shreds for the most part. You'll also notice that some famous codexes get placed in various categories. I want to mention this as well. So when we go to the, our, in our next video, we're going to talk about the different popular codexes and specific manuscripts, not their categories, but the manuscripts themselves. You'll notice that there are parts of them that get placed in different areas. Like, you know, First John over here might be more Alexandrian, but you know, then that one might have in the Book of Hebrews might be a little bit more Byzantine, and then over here might be a bit more Western in its writing. So there's even passages that are kind of put in different categories. So again, it's not just this manuscript belongs in this category. It's like, well, no, these parts of this manuscript belong in these categories. So again, the King James Only Advocate is oversimplifying a far more complicated process. So you will notice that some of these have that, but also it easily, it, that what's, you could tell is over time, the eclectic, the, I mean the eclectic, the Western text easily took on other readings or harmonizes from other texts. So essentially some of them you could tell kind of resisted over time when they wanted to add clarifications. And the Western text types seem to have a bit more fluidity to it, that like they weren't trying to be as hard on certain things as others might be. So this text type um, has been found in Egypt as well, which uh, is funny because, you know, we say Western, but also Western is probably probably not the best way to describe this because uh, the Western style text also was found as far east as something like Syria. So let me clarify this. You have people go look at this Western. Yep, see, there it goes. There's another wishy-washy text type found in the Alexandria Western area. Yeah, but guess what? They also have found these exact same ones as far east as Syria. As I mentioned earlier, these are categories. These aren't necessarily geographical locations of these categories. And I think we get that confused a little too much. So now we have, of course, what we've talked about before. Byzantine. Now let's talk about the Byzantine category. This is by far the most numerous in copies. There are more in the Byzantine than any other text, which is why the big war is always Alexandrian versus Byzantine, you know, the one with more or the one with less but closer to the source. So uh, this is also called, as I mentioned before, the majority text and amongst many other names, so we'll keep it simple. This text type has the most manuscripts but also um, has a lot of things where it kind of blurs as to part of uh, parts of other ones. So uh, it was one of the most underlying texts of the Textus Receptus. So the Textus Receptus that helped translate, that was the founding text of like what, the Geneva Bible and a lot of these other Bibles, but including the King James Bible. This text type here, the Byzantine text, is where the Textus Receptus was based off of. So again, textual history is complicated. But it also gets texts from, that are used by the Eastern Orthodox Church. So many of you guys might be familiar, some of the oldest churches, uh, church traditions in the world we have the Catholic Church, and then we have the Eastern Orthodox Church. Well, this is the text that's used by the Eastern Orthodox Church, is the Byzantine text. In fact, they're Byzantine texts only. And they have more of them than, so with us having more of them than anything else, this could also mean that new information that was lost to time. That's what many say. But also, it could be added by scribes, right? So when people see that, okay, so there's all these texts, and then we see that texts are added on top of it. So there's phrases found in Byzantine texts. 
that are just that are non-existent in any other ones. They read completely uniquely, completely new paragraphs found only in the Byzantine texts. Now that raises a question, and then that's the question I was trying to say there clunkily, but here we go. So this either means that we have found new information that was lost to time because we have no older texts that verify those statements, or we have these statements over here that were added by scribes over time. Now, if you actually go through textual traditions and, and then you also study how textual criticism works and then you study people's habits when copying and all these things, you will know that people have a tendency to add rather than to subtract. So that's why many scholars today go, Alexandrian is probably more accurate than the Byzantine because people tend to add for clarification in complicated scenarios rather than remove. So um, I think that's important. All right, so, and this is actually, there's parts that are completely only in the Byzantine text, right? And one of the main things is the woman caught in adultery. You guys might remember this uh, whole thing. The woman caught in adultery was the whole, hey, you who thou sin cast the first stone, you know, Jesus wrote in the sand. That is a story that is only found in, uh, this story is absent, I should say, in all earlier manuscripts before the 11th century. So this was something we don't find until way later in the manuscript tradition, which has made some people even say that doesn't belong there at all then. Um, I'm not sure if that's really true because I think we can find other ways to justify the various things. But the point is, it's not as cut and dry as people want to make it out. But again, if you didn't have that, that even that story in there, does it change in essential doctrines? You know, does it change the fundamentals of the faith? Not really. But you know, I'm just, and I'm, I'm taking that as like the extreme, okay? I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying that, even if, if, the big IF, right, it doesn't change. It's not like it gets rid of the deity of Jesus. It doesn't get rid of how forgiveness of sins works. It doesn't get rid of those things. But anyway, all these texts have variations, right? So even in the Byzantine, and that's one of the things that people don't understand either. They think all of Alexandrian text types are the one way, and all the Byzantine texts are another way. That's not true. All the Byzantine texts all disagree with each other at some point. They all had disagree. But do you know how you can tell what the original writing was? By looking at, okay, they all disagree with each other at some point, but not all at the same point. So that means if I have nine of them say one statement and then one of them disagrees, I can go with the other nine, right? Or if I go into the older ones and I go in the older ones, oh man, back then they were writing it this way. I now know the way this was probably supposed to be written. But now I also have some clarification statements that help me understand this better. And then the question goes, do I add the clarification statement or do I not? And that's the thing that scholars have to do. And that's not a job I would want. That's not a job I would probably enjoy. I'd probably have anxiety about it all day long. But we need to stop demonizing scholars, too, for trying to do this, okay? It's hard. It's hard work. So anyway, all these texts uh, have different variations, even the Byzantine texts. But none of them vary so much where they compromise the other. And that's the biggest thing. So when I start saying this, King James only, only advocates that they start, are really listening and actually trying to learn. This freaks them out at first because they're like, what? You know? But now, so it's compromised. We can't know the truth at all. Well, that's not it. For, for example, um, the Institute for New Testament Textual Research actually estimates that out of the 800 variations in the book of James, 800 variations between the eclectic and Byzantine texts in just the book of James alone, nearly 1,000. But in 731 places, they are in agreement. But that means 92.3% 
and closeness. So most of the remaining differences are primarily word order or punctuation in nature. So though it might vary in 800 places, now we have to ask what kind of variations. Are we talking about a missed period, uh, you know, a moved comma? And that's what most of the variations are throughout all scripture. Now, also, here's the thing, Alexandrian, Byzantine, and the Texas Receptus. So here's the thing, the oldest Alexandrian, which is far older than the others, Byzantine, which are the newest, and then we have the Texas Receptus, which is even newer, okay? So we have three major categories, or three major text types here, and out of, out of, if you compare all three, they are similar, 85%, and that other, you know, 15% isn't anything major. Because even if maybe one of them doesn't mention the name of God here, it has already mentioned the name of God in other places. And over here, it might, mention, it might not mention the blood of Christ in that particular verse, but it mentions it two verses beforehand. So it's not like they're removing things. It's just the fact that, man, there's variations over thousands of manuscripts for over thousands of years. So we have to understand the fact that there are going to be variations, but thank the Lord that he preserved his word exponentially through thousands of manuscripts that we can compare them and learn the truth of what was truly said. So again, 85% the same when you're dealing with uh, text found over hundreds and thousands of years, and you know, Texas Receptus, which was compiled by one singular person, uh, you know, that's pretty good work. That's pretty close. I'll give them that. So, and finally, we have Caesarian. There's these are also referred to as uncategorized. Some people believe that this this text type or category shouldn't even exist. Uh, they just say it's kind of lazy. Like, oh, you're not really looking to see which one it belongs in. But these ones basically are the ones that people go, okay, it doesn't fully fit Alexandrian, Egyptian. Western or Byzantine or eclectic. So uh, I don't know, it's weird. We'll put it in this one. So this is the I don't know, it's weird category where it has a mixture of all sorts of things. So, you know, it's a mixed bag. It, and it, I guess it tends to have, so many people have looked at it, it says it tends to have more of an Alexandrian like weight to it. But they, but it, again, it's not so cut and dry. So, um, you know, it's basically, it, it, it's sort of spider webs throughout all the rest of the text types, and that's kind of the whole thing here, is it just kind of, it just shoots out among them. So many people could say it's similar to the eclectic text in that sense. But anyway, the point is, I'm going to put up a graph here. These here are all the different text categories and the different manuscripts that were found throughout time, and how many were found in the, during that time, and, how, and on what category, all that good stuff. While that's up, I want you to understand something. This is not as cut and dry as you've been taught. It is not Alexandrian versus Byzantine. There's so much more to this, and they all connect differently. And we, there are so much more than just the majority rules, right? Because they're newer. So the Byzantine texts, they're newer. They're not as old as the Alexandrian texts. Of course, there's going to be more of them. Also, you know, maybe they weren't persecuted, and also they weren't doing all, as much of the scraping off, and they weren't burning maybe texts. There's so many things here than just a grand conspiracy. When you actually study history here, it doesn't make sense that it's some grand conspiracy, especially when you see how people use the Alexandrian texts back in the early church. They use the Alexandrian texts to defend Christianity. And again, if they're so corrupt and so horrible and so evil, that, wouldn't, should, that shouldn't be the case. No, these are variations that exist in all text types. And only if you're going to be intellectually honest can you understand that. It isn't, the Byzantine texts aren't perfect. They all vary from each other, you know, which is why we have to compare. And you know, the Texas Receptus, 
There's nothing, there's not a singular text out of all the Byzantine texts and all the other categories of mentions, there's not a singular text that reads like the Textus Receptus. It reads differently than the others and has complete things in there that are not in any other Bible. And we'll go to, we'll get into that when I get to my objections part of this, where I show you exactly where you can find some of these variations that only exist in the Textus Receptus or in the King James Bible. But the point is, is that it's not as cut and dry. It is not as black and white. And certainly we can say that it is not some grand conspiracy and that God didn't, you know, and then people go, well, you believe then that God didn't preserve his word, right? That's the natural thing that people say. Well, you just don't believe God preserved his word. No, I don't believe God preserved his word through one singular text, the Textus Receptus, or one singular text type, the Byzantine. I believe God's powerful enough to preserve his word exponentially. And we see that he did that with thousands of manuscripts that we can pull from, study, and compare to be able to fully understand everything and not have a singular mystery of what was written down. So anyway, I hope this helped you with the textual thoughts. Uh, so this is, has been the textual argument for, for the modern translations. This has been a complete dissertation, essentially explaining these and basics to you. But please, if you haven't already, like and sub, comment below, let us know your thoughts. And guys, uh, stay tuned for part five of this series where we're gonna talk about some of the main codexes that King James only us are going to mention. So anyway, my name is Will. Hope this has been helpful. And this has been the church split.